And now here's part two of Tom Harkaway's message. And we get into chapter two, and, and Peter kind of says, yeah, there are, there are good sources of truth in the Bible. And I'm telling you, I saw and heard these things. However, the Bible also talks about false prophets. And if the Bible is filled with false prophets, why should you think any differently that the church, the Jesus-following community, is not going to have false teachers? But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their depraved contact and will conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Well, there are a lot of examples. We don't need to go very far to see examples of how this has happened in the modern-day church. Um, charismatic leaders that used Christian themes as as a way to draw people to themselves. I think of Jim Jones and the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel. That's what his organization was called. You know, they all committed suicide following him. Uh, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, the Waco um, episode wasn't that far. They all had Christian themes that drew people to themselves, but they really distorted the truth. They distorted it for their, for their own advantage to raise themselves up. Um, Pseudo-Christian denominations like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness and Christian Science. You know, I respect the Mormons. They have a, a really strong moral ethic, but they don't understand what the gospel's all about. They teach that. They believe that, but the base of their knowledge, they have a misunderstanding of that. It's just kind of, their, their knowledge of why that's important is of their own making. Uh, major denominations have denied core Christian beliefs, a denial of biblical accuracy. Is the Bible inerrant? A lot of modern day liberal churches would say, no, it's just, it's stories and it has mistakes and contradictions in it. A denial of basic biblical doctrines like salvation, hell, sin, denying that those things are really important or even exist. Um, the biblical nature of marriage is a hot topic these days. You know, marriage is any two people that love one another. That's not a biblical view of marriage. A denial of the Trinity and even the deity of Christ, and Peter talks about that. And, and then there are megachurches that, if you look at their belief statements, their doctrinal statement, they have really sound doctrinal statements but they distort it in a way, and I'm specifically thinking of the health and wealth gospel, that God wants everyone to be healthy and to be wealthy. Um, and then churches whose pastors bring, dis bring disrepute to Christianity through either financial mismanagement or sexual misconduct. And, and we hear those examples every week. There's a new example of something along that nature. Um, I'm not going to read all this scripture, but in, in the next section, what Peter is saying that God recognizes that and he's not going to let that go unpunished, that those false teachers and false prophets are going to get their justice at the end. And he talks about three specific examples in the Old Testament. He talks about angels that were uh, thrown into hell back in Genesis, were, were put in the pit and they've never been released, Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are the three examples he used. And he says, 
God dealt with that in the past. He's going to deal with that in the future. In the rest of chapter 2, um, he goes on to continue to talk about these false teachers, and, and he, you know, he really gets his goat up about them. And I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that because I think as a church, we have a pretty fundamental view. It's like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. You know, we have a high view of Scripture. We believe in the basic tenets of Christianity. Um, we take teaching proper doctrine very seriously, which is why we require membership for people that are in an authority position because then they agree with our doctrinal statement and are under the authority of the church. So I, I didn't want to spend much time on that. Um, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to go back and look at this idea of knowledge and, and, and how it applies to us because I don't think we run into a lot of false teachers, at least not in our Sunday morning context. We do, we do hear during the week people keep trying to tell us things that are false. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. Where does the rubber hit the road on this idea of knowledge? And I, I need to make our person diagram a little more complicated. And you, you notice I changed it to us because I'm one of you squares too. And what I added was, um, well, we have knowledge, but we, we also as humans have emotions. Emotions certainly affect the way we think about things and how we treat knowledge. And we also have this thing called a will. And, and a will is also something that affects how we behave. We often behave independent of the things we really believe in. Paul talked about that, doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I know I should do. We all struggle with that because we're very complex inside. These are all things that are still part of God's image, right? God has a will. God feels, he has emotion, he loves, he knows things, he believes everything he believes is true, and he acts. However, our mix inside has been corrupted by our sin nature, by the fact that creation has been cursed because of Adam's sinful nature. You know, our, our knowledge is often faulty, incorrect, or incomplete, or it's just plain wrong. Not everything we believe in, based on what we think we know, is true or accurate. We can have strong beliefs in something without even knowing why. Our emotions can often throw a good deal of irrationality into the mix of how we behave. We have a subconscious, I didn't draw that on here, but we have this subconscious that makes us do things that, where did that come from? You know, you say something off the cuff to somebody because they annoyed you, you didn't even think about it, it just came out. Well, that's some experience in the past or something inside that's been brewing that just comes out that way. And I mentioned earlier, most of the important information that comes into us comes from either our seeing or our hearing. And I got a sad story. I've been working on my deck. We put new boards on top of our deck, and it's an upper story deck. It's along the back of our house. You know, I had my ball cap on and had my sunglasses on, and, you know, the clouds came out towards the end of the day, and I... I did this to my sunglasses, okay, and you know I had sawdust all over. So when I was ready to go in, I took my hat off. I didn't realize my sunglasses were there, and I did this to shake off the dust, right? Here, my sunglasses go flying over the edge of the deck and land on the concrete patio, just like that. Cool, they didn't break. So I went down and got them, and I put them in the glasses case. And then about a day later, I, I put my sunglasses on. Everything right in front of me was really distorted. 
right? What happened is they actually fell like this and scratched the lenses all up, and then they landed like this. So I'm going to put cool sunglasses on all you guys. <laughs> and we all wear glasses. Now, the purpose of sunglasses is to screen out the harmful rays, right? We all have filters. That's what a sunglass does. It's a filter. We all have filters that everything we learn or see or hear has to go through. Anybody that wears glasses knows that a lot of times you've got to take them off and clean them. They get dirty. You touch them, you tear up or whatever. The dog licks them. You know, you've got, you, you got, you got to take them off more often than I would like and clean them. The same thing is true of our filters. We need to pay attention to the filters that we have that filter the way we see the world, the way we learn facts. You know, we use this saying often, this seeing and hearing, uh, for, for like uh, someone has rose-colored glasses. What does that mean? It means they have an optimistic view. Of everything is fine and dandy, right? Um, turn a blind eye. That means that there's something right in front of them that they don't want to see. They just, they just ignore it. Um, have a deaf ear. You know, they don't want to listen. They don't want to listen to the truth. They don't want to hear what you're saying. Um, can't see the forest for the trees. People that are so concerned about the details, they don't see the bigger picture. So that, that idea of sight and hearing bringing information, is we, we use that in these metaphors to describe how a person's filters work. You know, today's cultures were inundated with images and sounds and sights and words and speeches and music. But if you look at the, the prevalent worldviews, the way people view the world today, here's a list of them, a few of them. This came out of a book that I was reading by Ravi Zacharyson, another author. But he talks about uh, the worldview of scientism. Everything about the world can be known using science. Evolution, life happened due to natural causes, which really says everything came from nothing, life came from non-life, Order came from chaos. Reason came from irrationality. Personality came from non-personality. Morality came from amorality, which means no morality. Evolution says all those things arose out of nothing. Um, hedonism. It makes you feel good, it must be good. Go ahead and do it. Uh, consumerism. You need blank to make you feel good, fulfilled, above others. Secular humanism, and this is a quote that I, that I like. Humanism derives its goals of life from human need and interest rather than from theological or ideological abstractions. Humanism is a joyous alternative to religions that believe in a supreme God and life in the hereafter. Humanism is an alternative, a joyous alternative to believing in God. That's what humanism is about. We don't need God. We, you know, we can do anything. We're humans. A relativism, morals and proper behavior are based on the person and the context. There is no absolute truth. A pluralism, there's many ways to get to God. I mean, Christianity doesn't have the lock on, on what it means to relate to God. Hinduism, Islam, they all, they all express ways to get to God. Except for pluralism, all of those worldviews are based on atheism. Atheism. 
theos God, a not God. Atheism says there is no God. And all of those worldviews, except for pluralism, which says it doesn't matter if there's a God or not, there's lots of ways to get to him. They are all based on atheistic thinking. There is no God, and it's up to the theist to prove that there is. God in the Bible is unbelievable, and, and at the, the far end of atheists, militant atheists would say, and believers are idiots for believing it. There's no foundation for truth, good or evil. We all just dance to our DNA. Well, I don't believe much of those. But I know in my internal being, I, I certainly behave and think at times like I do. How do those ideas get into us? And they get into all of us. How do they get into us? Well, just look at today's society. How often do you go in your life before you see an advertisement for something? Half hour, if you're driving on the road, 30 seconds before you see the next sign. How many advertisements do you, you're on the internet, it's every second. How many advertisements are bombarding at you every day? Uh, entertainment, authorities over us, our desire to fit in, our hyper-connected lifestyle. Mobile phones, email, um, social media, and I thought these, these slogans were, were interesting. Uh, Twitter, it's what's happening. Like everything that's happening is happening on Twitter. That's important. Facebook, be connected. Be discovered. Be on Facebook. What's the message that that's telling us? Snapchat. Life's more fun when you live in the moment. That sounds like not seeing the forest for the trees to me, right? Uh, reliance on the internet for a lot of our information. Photoshop manipulation has been around a long time, and it's very hard in a lot of cases to detect what you're seeing is actually a real image. And now there's this stuff called deepfake, where people are actually mimicking people's faces, saying things that they never said. Think of the implication of that when the next election comes up. How much that you see on the internet are you able, are you able to really believe? And, you know, it's a little like the frog with the kettle. If you throw a frog in hot water, he's going to jump out. If you put him in cold water and gradually warm it up, you know, it's hot, hotter than he wants to be. We're the same way. We, we let this stuff in. This stuff gets by our filters or changes our filters. And as I said, all those who wear glasses, you know, you need to take those glasses off and clean them, and that's just important that we do that with our filters. And I want to wrap up with another thought out of this book, which is called uh, Jesus Among, Among Secular Gods by Ravi Zacharias. And he talked about a Muslim who became a believer. And the Muslim drew these two pictures. The picture on the left is the picture of a Muslim. The picture on the right is a picture of a Christian. Now, you can all see the difference between those two pictures, right? Well, let me label those. For the Muslim, he's the little dot in the center. And the big square, is that's the Muslim faith. He's just a small piece. His life is almost insignificant. It doesn't matter in the bigger picture of the Muslim faith of Islam. However, this person's observation, this Muslim's observation of most of Western Christianity, as he 
became familiar with it and how they interact with the culture was just the opposite. That little dot in the center is a person's faith. That big square is his life, is all the things that make up his life, and his faith is just a little small piece of that. And here are the, here are the quotes, actually, of things that he said. As a Muslim, I believe the circle or the square to be my faith and the little dot to be my life. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I have seen the difference in the cultural tension. Too many Westerners, too many Westerners, the circle is his life and the dot is his faith. And then he went on to say, faith in the West is sort of an extracurricular interest and a mere aspect of life for the sake of inner peace. But faith seldom enters the conscious as a conviction. That's really an astute observation by a former Muslim. and I think that's all, true, all too true of a lot of Christianity. Now, I, I, I won't accuse anybody of here of having a faith that, that's a little tiny dot in the center. Because I think we have grown as a church and we've grown as Christians and we've expanded that dot to encompass more of our life, more of the way we think and act. That's exactly the point Mike was trying to make last week about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is making that dot bigger. Letting our faith influence and affect more and more of our life. That's exactly what Peter is focusing on when he says, remember this knowledge. This knowledge is fundamental. And it's not just knowledge of things of God. It's knowledge of Jesus personally. So how do we grow the dot? Well, I think first off, we need to recognize the effects of our sin nature. Our sin nature affects the way, and it works against us expanding that dot. Um, things we believe in are based on false knowledge. Uh, our will and our emotions uh, betray us, make us do things that we don't really want to do. And we view our filters, we view life through our filters that really have some distortion in them. Acknowledge, number two, acknowledge that Jesus is the ultimate source of truth. Continue to grow in your knowledge, study of God's word, listen to sound teaching, uh, realize that this is an ongoing daily struggle. It's not something that happens month, once a year. This is something we need to recognize and be aware of every day. Encourage one another. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. And this isn't a new thought in Scripture. Paul talks about this often, the same idea. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 21. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterance, but examine everything carefully, use your filters, hold fast to that which is good. Pray without ceasing. He doesn't mean on our knees praying to God without ceasing. I think what he's saying is we need to have an active conversation with God all the time. We need to be asking God, are these things I'm seeing true? Are they real? Is my filter doing a good job? I think that's kind of the concept behind this. And it's not just we do that one time and correct our filters. It's something we need to do continually. And in uh, Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The renewing of your mind. It's not 
by renewing your mind or get your mind renewed. It's by the renewing of your mind. It's a continual thing. We have to continually work to renew our mind because these things that come in from the outside influence us. And then the way Peter says it, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling and election. I think that's the point he's getting at. It's not a one-time thing. Make every effort to do that on a continual basis. It's a lifeline process. It's exactly what Mike talked about when he talked about spiritual growth. I think I skipped over question two. Question two is when you actually believed that what you knew about Jesus was true. And then there's a little chart there that if you want, you can do this as an exercise. Um, and it's interesting, you can do it over the last 10 years or from when you were born. Draw a little line with time along the bottom and spiritual maturity or growth along the up-down axis. Draw a little line of your life. And where has your life been headed the last five years, let's say? Is it headed up? Is it stable? Have there been some dips there? It's an interesting way to look at your own life and then maybe share that with somebody and share why you were struggling at that time. Those types of stories that we share with one another encourage one another. We all face the same trials and the more we share, the better we do. Um, I heard, wrap this up, I heard a funny definition of wisdom uh, from the internet, of course. It says, it's so simple to be wise, just think of something stupid to say and then don't say it. That's true, right? I like this as a definite wisdom of wisdom better. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. Wisdom, being a wise person, is having true, accurate knowledge in us that we apply rightly to our lives. Father, we thank you for the message of Second uh, Peter and his exhortation is uh, angst even in some cases to make sure that the people he was writing to recognize the importance of true and accurate knowledge and not just general knowledge but knowledge of Jesus Christ and through that knowledge of him or a belief that that knowledge is true and accurate your Holy Spirit works in us to change the way we view the world and to change the way we behave. I'd ask in the coming weeks that we'd, we would continue to encourage us. We look forward to Clark coming back in a week or two and being able to share with us the things that he learned and saw and experienced in Scotland and us being able to do the same thing with him. I pray these things in your name. 